0: Hey there. Thanks for listening to the Greg Laurie podcast, a ministry supported by Harvest Partners. I'm Greg Laurie, encouraging you. If you want to find out more about Harvest Ministries and learn more about how to become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org. Why would God allow a person that we know to get cancer? Why would God allow a child to be born with a disability? Why would God allow a young man in the prime of his life to die in an automobile accident. A Barna pole was taken and the question was asked, if you could ask God one question and know that you would receive an answer, what would you ask? And the most common response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, the problem of pain is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith. Maybe there are some of you here tonight that are angry with God because something bad has happened to you or to someone you loved and you just can't reconcile it. Your parents divorced. A close loved one died unexpectedly. You were born with a disability or someone else you know has been hurt and you say, Why? The reason we ask that is because our human intellects and notions of fairness reject the apparent contradiction between a God of love and a world of pain. And the classic statement of the problem, either God is all powerful, but He is not all good. Therefore, He doesn't stop evil. Or God is all good, but not all powerful. Therefore, He can't stop evil. But the general tendency is to blame God for all the evil and suffering in the world. Pass all responsibility to Him. But know this, as we look back at the tragedy of 9-11, God did not do that. Wicked people did that. And that's because mankind is wicked. <laughs> Listen, I hate to break this to you: man is not basically good. To quote that great theologian George Thorogood, man is bad; he's bad to the bone. Ba 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 bad. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It comes naturally. I never had to teach my two sons how to be sinful. It was natural to them. Just like it was to me. Just like it is to you. But in a broad sense, all sickness, all disabilities, even death are the result of sin. Now, I'm not saying personal sin in particular, but sin in general. You see, God's original plan was not for these bodies to break down in age. God's original plan was for us to live forever in a perfect state. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, ate of the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. And by the way, the Bible never says it was an apple. I don't know where that whole apple thing came from. I mean, I don't know about you, if I was going to be tempted by fruit, it would never be an apple. Maybe a nectarine perhaps. I like nectarines. It probably was a piece of fruit like we've never seen before. It probably pulsated with light. and it had its own theme song. You know, who knows? Well, whatever it was, they ate of the forbidden fruit and sin spread into the world. But we'll say, but wait, why didn't God make mankind so we could not sin? Oh, I get it. You mean like robots with no will of our own. You just push the little button and we say whatever we've been programmed to say. I mean have you ever picked up a little doll and you push the button and it says something to you? Do you really get a charge out of that? Someone programmed it to do that. God did not make us that way. He gave us the ability to choose. So when we come back and look at the tragedy of what happened at the World Trade Center and we ask the question, why did God allow this? Here is really the answer. Because a very similar question was asked of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Apparently a tower had fallen on a group of Gentiles, non-Jews. And some were suggesting that it happened because they were non-believers and it was God's judgment. And Jesus said, Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent you will also perish. Effectively Jesus was saying, Look guys, people die. Bad things happen. We don't always have to say, oh it was God's judgment. This happens and it doesn't always make sense. But listen. You better get ready because you could die. Listen. Death is going to knock at every single door. No one is exempt. It could happen to any of us. It could happen tonight or tomorrow. The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of every one person will die. The Bible says it's appointed unto a man once to die. And then comes the judgment. The Bible says there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. Worldwide, three people die every second, 180 every minute, 11,000 every hour, 250,000 people enter eternity every single day. That is why David the psalmist said, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life because the span of my years is as nothing before you. Man's life is but a breath. Now in earlier days people talked more about the topic of death ancient merchants often wrote the words memento mori, which means think of death in large letters on the first page of their accounting books. It was something that was before them. But nowadays we we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss it. But you can't avoid the inevitable. Steve Jobs of Apple Computer said, quote, Life is short and we're all going to die really soon. It's true, you know. Filmmaker Woody Allen said, quote, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, you will be, Woody. We all will. Actor William Shatner, who played Captain Kirk in the Star Trek TV series, speaking about death in an interview, said, quote, I'm so not ready to die. It petrifies me. I go alone. I go to a place I don't know. It might be painful. It might be the end. My thought is that it is the end. I become nameless when I spend a lifetime being known." But what happens after we die? That's the big question. There is an inscription on a tombstone I'm told in England with these words. Pause now stranger as you pass by. As you are now so once was I. As I am now so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. Someone reading that inscription was overheard to say, To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. So here's my question for you tonight. What will happen to you after you die? According to the Bible there are two options. There's heaven and there is hell. There are no other choices. We live in a fallen world. Bad things happen. People die. Maybe you've come here with great sadness tonight. Someone close to you has died. You have recently found out you have cancer. Your marriage is unraveling before your very eyes. And understand that as I speak to you tonight, I'm not speaking from an ivory tower of theological theory. I am a man in pain speaking... To people in pain. You heard a little of my story in that video about my son Christopher, age 33. He died in an automobile accident in 2008. Now I have been a pastor for many years. And I have gone to visit many people who have lost loved ones including children. And I have always tried to say the right words and try to bring a measure of comfort to them. But I remember thinking to myself, I hope this never happens to me because if it did, I don't think I could handle it. But it did happen to me. When I heard the news, it was like time stood still. It was like all of the air in the room was sucked out. I couldn't believe this was actually happening. I was numb. I was in deep pain. And people will say to you, you know, a few months after, well are you over it yet? Listen, it's three years. I'm not over it yet. I don't know that I'll ever get over it. But let me say this. Though it was the most painful moment of my life and my wife Kathy and our son Jonathan, Christopher's brother, and his wife Brittany, I want to tell you also that God was with us in our darkest hour and He got us through it. And I want to bring a measure of hope to you tonight. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying there's not deep sadness. I grieve and I miss Him deeply. As David lost his son Absalom, even though he was a wicked boy, he said, I wish it had been me instead of him. And any father would gladly trade places and go to heaven instead of their son or die. We've shed many tears. But the Bible says we do not grieve as those that have no hope. We have hope. What is the hope? I know I will see my son again in heaven. Because he put his faith in Christ and I put my faith in Christ will be reunited. Do you have that hope? But why? Why does God allow things like this to happen? Okay. I am ready to answer the question. I hope you brought a note tablet. Or you can put it in your phone if you like. I am now going to answer the why question. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, even godly people? Here is my answer. Are you ready? I don't know. I don't know. One day, when I stand before God, the Bible says all my questions will be answered. But until that day, yes, I will have questions. But here's what I do know. I know that God loves me. I know that because my son put his faith in Christ, he's in heaven. I know because I put my faith in Christ, I will see him in heaven one day. I know when I get to heaven, all of the whys will be resolved. So maybe we shouldn't be asking the why question. We should be asking the what question and the who question. What is the what question? It's what do I do now? Okay, so you're suffering. You've come here with pain. What do you do now? Now let's come to the who question. You turn to Jesus Christ who will give you the help you need to get through this. You might say, what does Jesus know about pain and suffering? Are you kidding? No man ever suffered like Jesus. Well, he was God. Oh, yeah, he was God, and he was fully man. And when those spikes went into his hands, he felt pain like you and I would feel. That was real blood. That coursed in His veins and spilled to the ground as He hung on the cross of Calvary and died for the sin of the world. That was real rejection He felt as His own disciples that He handpicked turned away from Him for the most part. And that was real loneliness He experienced as He hung on the cross and said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? But listen to this. Jesus was forsaken that you might be forgiven. Jesus hung on the cross and died and rose again so you could live forever so God knows what you're going through. Turn to Him. Okay, let me make a provocative statement. Only those who are prepared to die are really ready to live. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Yet if I live that means fruitful service for Christ. I really don't know which is better. I am torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live and sometimes I long to depart and be with Christ. That would be far better for me. But it is better for you that I live. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now when you hear a statement like that you think, What planet are you living on? What do you mean to die is gain? And what do you mean when you say to live is Christ? You know one of the criticisms against Christians is we are so heavenly minded we are no earthly good. Oh really? I think when you are really heavenly minded you will be of the greatest earthly good. Listen. Whenever there is a tragedy somewhere in the world it is always Christians that respond first. Have you ever noticed that? It doesn't matter if they are of, of another faith. It, it doesn't matter if they have no faith at all. We reach out. We provide housing. We provide clothes. We provide food and everything else that we can. And we also want to tell them about our faith in God. Have you ever noticed there are no atheist relief organizations? You know there is not an organization out there called Non-Believer's Purse. But there is one called Samaritan's Purse. Okay, there's no mission downtown called the Atheist Mission, but there's the Fred Jordan Mission. Okay, so that's because of Christ. To live as Christ. To die is gain. See, a Christian can enjoy life more than anybody else. Because we look out and see a beautiful sunset uh, we see something that God has made and we give Him the glory. We can enjoy the taste of food, the joy of love and marriage, the comfort of family and friends and laughter. We don't need drugs or alcohol to enhance the experience. We know God. To live as Christ. See, we have Christ in our life. That's where the life comes from. But we also know as believers that life on earth is not all there is. We know the greatest experiences we have here are but hints of heaven. Sort of like when you go to a movie theater and you see a trailer, you know, for something that's coming. Have you ever noticed that a lot of trailers are better than the actual movies? But it's sort of something you see, oh that's cool, I want to see that film. We have little hints of heaven, little glimpses into eternity if you will. C.S. Lewis said, and I quote, All the things that ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of heaven. Tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but to arouse, to suggest the real thing." End quote. See one day we will see all of our dreams come true in a sense. One day we will all live happily ever after when we stand before God. But this is why from the moment you were born you have been on a quest, on a search, trying to find the meaning of life. Animals don't search for the meaning of life. Dogs don't lay around in the backyard and say, why am I here on this earth? What is the reason for my existence? I've tried all the things this world has to offer. This is my dog voice by the way. I don't know why this is a dog voice. I've tried everything this world has to offer. Chasing cats. Eating roadkill. Drinking toilet water. None of it ever fulfilled me. Now dogs don't think about stuff like that. But people do. You do. You think about it all the time. Why am I here? Well here's a question for you. What do you live for? What do you live for? Fill in the blank. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And then he could say, to die is gain. What do you live for if you're honest tonight? Some would say, well, to live is to just live. You know. Take it easy, man. That's what we say to each other. Take it easy. Take it one day at a time. They just exist. They have no philosophy to speak of. They don't like to contemplate the meaning of their life. They just live for the moment. They satisfy their desires no matter how bizarre or deviant they may be. Paul in the book of Romans talks about people whose God is their belly. Some people's gods are a little bigger than others I think. But when he says belly he means their appetites. They live for fulfilling their own appetite. When you bring up the subject of spiritual things, they don't want to talk about it. They just live. But others would say, ah, to live is pleasure. Pleasure. It's all about having fun. A well-known actor was interviewed in a magazine and he made this statement. A lot of people are just relationship junkies. You roll from relationship to relationship because you are afraid of being alone. When I was lonely I would get into relationships just to alleviate the loneliness. You need something to fill the emptiness. It can be another person. Drugs. Prestige. I've tried all those things. They don't do the trick. Maybe you felt that way lately. Maybe recently you were partying with a bunch of friends. Everybody was laughing. And suddenly you looked around and you said, I hate this. My life is empty. The lead singer of one of the most well-known rock bands in America that sold millions of records, recently committed suicide. On his shirt there was a note that was clipped and he wrote these words, I'm a lonely soul. Is that you tonight? Singer Amy Winehouse recently died. She was only 27 years old. She joined the so-called 27 club of rock stars that died young like Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Brian Jones, Kurt Cobain. Now Amy Winehouse's name has been added. She won five Grammys, Best New Artist, Record of the Year, Song of the Year. Her most well-known song was Rehab. In an interview she said, quote, Since I was 16 I felt a black cloud hanging over me. Since then I took pills for depression, end quote. She made no apologies for her lifestyle. She says, My justification is most people my age spend a lot of time thinking about what they are going to do for the next five or ten years. The time they spent thinking about their life, I just spend drinking." End quote. How sad. The Bible says she that lives for pleasure is dead while she is living. It's a dead life. Don't live that way. There is a better life for you in Jesus Christ. And I am going to tell you how to come into a relationship with Him tonight. Listen, I am not saying that sin cannot be fun. I am one of the few preachers that may actually say sin can be fun for a while. Then comes the penalty. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a time. But it also says the wages of sin are death. It is sort of like waiting in line at an amusement park. If you notice when you go to parks like Disneyland now they have these little signs. If you are at this point in the line you will get on the ride in one month. It's like, is this really helping? But you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait. Finally you get on the ride. You strap down the bar. You go, you go. It lasts for it seems like nine seconds. And then you go and get in another line, right? That's what life can be like. We go from line to line trying to find fulfillment. We have little moments of fun. But so much of that time is spent in emptiness. To live is pleasure. That's a dead end street. Another might say, hey, to live is possessions. The bumper sticker on their car says, He that dies with the most toys wins. Right? Thousands of years ago a man named Solomon lived. He was known as the wisest man who ever lived and also one of the wealthiest. He made this statement that sounds so current in the book of Ecclesiastes. I tried to find meaning in building huge homes for myself. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted I took. I did not restrain myself from any pleasure. Listen to this. But as they looked at everything I worked so hard to accomplish it was so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I read an interview with Simon Cowell, one of the most successful men in show business today. The interview was done in his 14,000 square foot home. And it says that it's complete with staff, guest house, movie theater, and garage. It houses a Bugatti, a Rolls Royce, a Bentley, and a Ferrari. Surely a man like that is happy, right? In the interview, Simon says, I get very dark moods for no reason. Nothing in particular brings it on. You can be having the best time of your life and you're utterly and totally miserable. He says, I'm just a wandering asteroid without a home. Does that sound like you? Sounds like Solomon. I had everything this world offers, but it left me empty. Yes, that's what you may be living for, but that is never going to fulfill you. Here's what Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, what does he mean when he says to die as gain? Was Paul saying he looks forward to dying? No. But he's saying, look, man, I know what's on the other side. Well, how would he know? Check this out. Paul the Apostle died and came back to life again. And by the way, he didn't write a book about it. But he just gave us a few words. He says, hey, I was caught up, if I was in the body or out of the body, I don't really know, into paradise and saw things I can't even really describe. So that's why from that moment on he was homesick for heaven. He knew what was coming. He wasn't afraid anymore. That is how he could say, I long to depart and be with Christ which is far better. Yet I need to stay here and be here with you guys. Can you imagine what that was like for Paul to die? Uh, Many believe it may have happened when he was preaching the gospel in the book of Acts and he was put to death by stoning. So he enters into heaven. There he is standing before the Lord Himself. And I wonder if God said, Paul, welcome. Welcome. I have some good news and some bad news. Uh, What's the good news, Lord? The good news is, Paul, you're coming back again. Paul might ask, well what's the bad news? The bad news is, is people down on earth, they're praying for you to be raised again from the dead. Paul might have said, Lord, don't listen to their prayers. They're sinners. I don't want to go back. No, Paul, I have a work for you to do still. Meanwhile back on earth the apostles, our people are praying, Oh Lord, raise up Paul. Lord, bring Paul back to life. Suddenly the the flesh of color comes back to his skin. Paul's hand begins to move and he makes a fist. Boom! That's what I would have done. Okay, whose idea was it to pray for me to come back from the dead? Yeah, he came back for a time. But ever since that day he said, I'm homesick heaven. I long to depart and be with Christ. You know it is interesting the word that Paul uses here for depart and be with Christ. It is a word that means to break camp. Do you like to camp? How many campers do we have out there? A few of you. Okay. I don't like to camp. I like hot showers. I like a roof over my head. I like to go to the beach though. You know what I've discovered? My favorite time about going to the beach is when I get there and when I leave. Because when I arrive at the beach I'm so excited. Oh we're here at the beach. It's so sunny. It's so great. I love this. And then after about an hour I'm like, I'm hot. I'm sweaty. Let's go home again. Sands in the sandwich. Seagulls are flying off with your kids, and Let's go. Paul says, I want to depart and be with Christ. The idea is to break camp. He compares the human body to a tent. See tents aren't meant to last forever. They are only temporal. Right? And maybe you are trying to stay eternally young and, and you have you know gone out there and gotten some cosmetic surgery and I have no problem with that whatsoever. But uh, though sometimes I look at some people and wonder did you want to look that way? I don't know. You know. Okay if you did you got it I guess. But you know or maybe I'm going to get a tattoo man. I want to look. I want to have street cred. So I'm getting that tattoo. I have no problem with tattoos. Let me just say though the Tweety bird of today may be the big bird of tomorrow. Okay because you get bigger. Think about it. That cute little butterfly is going to be a pterodactyl. So think those designs over carefully before you get inked. Yes. These bodies are temporal. The Bible says one day we are going to move from a tent to a mansion. Remember the Beverly Hillbillies? Didn't they live near here somewhere? Remember the story? Old Jed was out hunting. And up from the ground came a bubbling crude. So what did Jed and Ellie Mae and Jethro and Granny do where they, they loaded up their truck and they moved to Beverly Hills that is. Swimming pools. All the old people said that. All the kids are like, what is happening? I'm quoting the lyrics to a sitcom from many years ago. But that's what we're going to do one day. We're going to leave this broken body and move into that new body that God has waiting for all of us. That's good news. Because these bodies are breaking down. The bodies don't last forever. They're the telltale signs you're getting old. You know you're getting old when your knees buckle and your belt won't, right? You know you're getting old when happy hour is a nap. You know you're getting old when you straighten the wrinkles in your socks. And then you're shocked to discover you're not wearing socks. You know you're getting old when someone calls you at 9 o'clock in the evening and says, Did I wake you? You know you're getting old when your teeth and you don't sleep together anymore. But one day God will give you that new body. It's way better than this one. Why is heaven better than earth? Because all the pain will be gone. If you have a disability, it will be behind you. Whatever you're facing, God has something better in heaven for you. Another reason heaven is better than earth is because it is immediate. Paul says, I long to depart and be with Christ. Listen, when a Christian dies, they go straight to heaven. That's the truth. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment you take your last breath on earth, you take your first breath in heaven. And I'll tell you why else heaven is better. Heaven is better because all of your questions will be answered. We have questions. Why, God? Why? I have my questions. You have yours. They'll all be answered heard about one woman's question for God. In an ambitious moment she invited a bunch of her friends over for a birthday party. And at the table she turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, Honey, why don't you pray for our food and ask the blessing? The little girl said, Mommy, I don't know what to say. The mother said, Sweetheart, just say what you hear Mommy say. The little girl said, Okay, everybody let's pray. Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people over to my house? Yeah. One day all of our questions will seriously be answered. Because we'll be with Christ. Listen. You don't go to heaven to find Christ. You go to Christ to find heaven. Let me say something controversial. I believe that all roads lead to God. Probably didn't expect me to say that. But it's true. All roads lead to God whatever you believe, whatever your religion or lack thereof. If you're fervent in your faith, you're an outright atheist, that road will lead you to God. Yes, it's true. You'll die and you'll stand before God Almighty one day. There's no getting away from it. But only one road leads to heaven and that's Jesus Christ. You say, well Greg that's your opinion. Well no, it's actually God's opinion. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. You say, but why Greg? Come on, that's so narrow. Well yeah, in a way it is, isn't it? But here's why. Because there's no man that ever walked this earth that was fully God and fully man. That is why Jesus and Jesus alone was uniquely qualified to satisfy the righteous demands of God and reach out to sinful humanity. See when He died on that cross in effect with one hand He reached out to God. With the other hand He reached out to mankind and spikes were driven on those hands and He died there in your place. He came to pay a debt He did not owe because you owed a debt you could not pay. And He'll forgive you of all of your sin tonight if you will put your faith in Him and you can go to heaven when you die. What do you need to do to get right with God and know that your sin is forgiven? What do you need to do to fill that void in your life? What do you need to do to go to heaven? Number one. You need to admit you're a sinner. Stop blaming people for it. You say, well Greg, I come from a dysfunctional family. Oh please. Listen, I came from a dysfunctional family and I'm the head of a dysfunctional family, okay? We're all dysfunctional. We're all sinners. You heard Kirk Franklin's story. How his mother and father effectively gave him up. I was conceived out of wedlock. I wasn't a wanted child per se. But though I wasn't planned by my parents, I was planned by God and I am loved by God. And He loves every one of you. But you are a sinner. I know some people don't like to hear, well what do you mean I am a sinner? You are a sinner. What is sin? Sin is to cross the line. God has given us commandments. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Have you ever broken any of the commandments? No, I never have. You are lying right now. Of course you have. Okay, well I have but I am not as bad as some people. Check this out. God does not grade on the curve. One sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. The Bible says if you offend in one point of the law. You are guilty of all of it. We have all broken God's law. But in addition the word sin means to fall short or to miss the mark. God has set a mark for humanity. It is perfection. None of us are perfect. You might say, well what are you saying? You are perfect Greg? No. I am a sinner like you. That is where Jesus came in. You see. Admit you are a sinner. The Bible says all of sin." Just admit it. Number two. Repent of your sin. So I don't know what that means. I haven't even pented yet, much less repented. The word repent means to change your direction. Think of it this way. You're going to hang a U-turn on the road of life. You've been going away from God. Now you're going to hang a U-e and go to God. You're going to turn away from that sin. The Bible says repent and be converted and times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. The Bible says God has commanded people everywhere to repent. So it's not enough to just say you're sorry. Turn from that sin. Number three, you must receive Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord. Being a Christian is not just going to church. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a donut shop makes you a cop. It's just a joke. If you see me cuffed afterwards you'll know what happened. You say, oh, I was raised in a Christian home. Well congratulations. But there has to come a moment when you put your faith in Christ. You can't live off your parents' faith. You can't live off your husband's faith or your wife's faith or your friend's faith. You need your own relationship with God. That's what it is to know Christ. I'm not talking about a religion here tonight. Folks, believe it or not, I do not consider myself a religious person. And guess what? I don't want to become a religious person. I'm talking about a relationship with God through Christ as He comes and lives inside of you. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. You must receive Christ into your life. And lastly, you must do it now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Tonight is the night. Listen. You can leave Dodger Stadium tonight with your sin forgiven. You can leave here tonight with a change in your eternal address from a place called hell to a place called heaven. You can leave here tonight with your guilt taken away if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ who loves you, who died for you, and rose again from the dead and will live inside of you. So we're going to pray. And then I'm going to invite you to make your stand for Christ. Let me say one last thing. Jesus said, You're either for me or against me. This is an either or proposition here, folks. Jesus did not say, Admire me or think good thoughts about me. He said, You're for me or against me. You either believe who I am and follow me, or you reject me and turn away from me. You're going to make a decision in the next few moments. And you know what? It's the most important decision of your life. I pray you'll make the right decision and follow Christ. Let's all bow our heads and pray together. Father, I pray for every person in this stadium. I pray for every person that is listening and watching. Help them to see their need for you. Help them to come to you and receive the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus Christ. Amen. can't let any more people on the field the fire marshal has said this is the maximum amount so all of you that are in the stands that want to come down we will bring bibles to you listen you are making the most important decision of your life right now the decision to follow Jesus Christ. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and I'm gonna ask that you would pray this prayer out loud after me. Mean it from your heart and God will hear you. So again, as I pray, if you would please, pray this out loud after me. If you would all, bow your heads right now. Pray this out loud now. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your commandments. I have fallen short of your standards. I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it now. I put my faith in you. I want to follow you, Lord, from this night forward. Thank you for loving me and calling me and forgiving me. I choose to be your disciple. Thank you for accepting me now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless every one of you. God bless you all. God bless you.
1: Well, officially 5,934 people registered Decisions for Christ on the field at Dodger Stadium. We understand there were at least 1,000 more in the stands who also made commitments and received the follow-up materials. It was the largest response we've seen in 22 years. You know, it was a step of faith to come to Dodger Stadium. We didn't know for sure if anyone would show up. 50,000 did. And if you've just prayed with Pastor Greg, we want to welcome you into the family of God, too. And we also want to help you get started off right in your walk with the Lord. We'd like to send you our New Believers Growth Packet to help answer your questions and help build a strong foundation for your faith. Just click over to knowgod.org. That's K-N-O-W, knowgod.org. You can watch a short video from Pastor Greg that talks about the plan of salvation, or just simply click the Connect icon and let us know where to send your new Believer's Growth Packet. Let us help you get started in your new faith in Jesus Christ.
0: Hey everybody, this is Greg Laurie, and you've just been listening to a classic message from Harvest Ministries. This podcast is supported by Harvest Partners. To learn more and to find out how you can become a Harvest Partner, just go to harvest.org.